Welcome to the Crackpots podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. Uh, Chad had the week end off. Ish. Ish. I had the I had the I had the 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 weekend. I had the week off and then the weekend away from here. Correct. As I I dropped in over at Prince of Peace for worship and to you know kind of have some conversations about our congregational vote pending con- or upcoming congregational vote. All that um, fun stuff. Yeah, so I, I missed the worship experience here at Emmanuel. Yep. Well, we talked about the sto- story of the Magi. Given okay. Epiphany is in two days, um, which is the celebration of the Magi visiting Jesus. My favorite Epiphany, the Simpsons movie, when Homer has his Epiphany. <laughs> Not biblical, I know, but I think it does a pretty good job of, you know, in a very secular way, very secular <laughs> way of defining epiphany, maybe, kind of, sort of. Kind of, sort of. Anyway. Yeah, so we talked about the Magi taking a different path, um, that kind of stuff. The, the reading included the... Slaughter of the Innocents. I chose not to really focus on that the week after Christmas. Boo, um, you're lame. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the text that everybody wants to hear. Everybody wants to hear a sermon on the slaughter of the innocents. Right. Now, I, so I wonder, so two things. One, um, I wonder if the Catholic I wonder how many Catholic churches, if that was their text for this week. I don't think it was in the Revised Common. I don't think but so. But it does come up in the Revised Common Lectionary, and I know that more on that in a second. But I wonder how many take that story and, and use that story um, to talk about abortion. Talk about what? Abortion. Oh. oh. I, I, just, I just wonder how many, how many actually do. Anyway, so I know that this story is part of the Revised Common Lectionary because... Um, the Sunday after Christmas is often referred to in some parts as Seminarian Sunday. So every seminarian has the opportunity to preach somewhere on the Sunday after Christmas because many, many pastors will take off the Sunday after Christmas. So this year was a little funky. They, they did Luke 2 for whatever it's worth. They're in the Luke cycle. Yes. I knew so, that. So it was naming Jesus. It was not slaughtered. Yeah, yeah, that was the text at Prince of Peace. Yeah. Um, so, so it's typically like the Sunday after Christmas is Seminarian Sunday, which is really different this year because Christmas was actually on a Sunday. A lot of times what happens, you go to Christmas Eve worship, and then Christmas Eve and Easter, like the Sunday after, like pastors always take off. Like it's just one of those weird, oh, I need a break. Um, I needed a break, so I kind of felt guilty on, on, that, on that realm. Anyway, so my very first semester in seminary, very first semester, we're in our preaching class, and our, our preaching professor says, is anybody going to be in the area over the holidays? And I'm like, well, we live here. Like, our family's only an hour away, so yeah, we'll be here. She goes, would you like to preach the weekend after Christmas, the Sunday after Christmas? And it was like... Okay. So there's a little church maybe 20 minutes from, from Gettysburg Seminary. Um, I don't remember the name of the church. So I get there. Now, those who know me know that I'm early. Like, I feel that I need to be there early. So I got, so the whole family comes along, and we pull into the parking lot, and there is no one there because I'm early. Finally, a guy shows up, opens the door. I go in, and I get myself set up. Now, this is the first time I had ever led worship by myself. I was in teaching parish and, you know, had, had done all the different elements of worship. Right. It was the first time I had been there in a 
you were solo. It was flying solo. It was me flying solo. Absolutely. So I get there. The guy's like, "Oh, you know, your assistant minister. I believe her name was Jody. I don't remember why I know that. Jody. You know, she assists all the time. She's fantastic. You know, she'll she'll help guide you through the parts where you're. You know, if you have any questions. Okay, perfect. So I go up, and the, and they did the entire service out of the service book on the altar. Um, now, I had never actually used the service book on the altar because my teaching parish beautifully printed the entire service in a binder so it was turn page, turn page, turn page. Well, if you've never seen the service book on the altar, it's a wreck because it isn't simply turn the page, turn the page, turn the page. There's lots of jumping from one chunk of text or one chunk of pages to the next to get to the next part of the worship service. So I'm up there and I'm like, oh my, I gotta lay this out. So they have like the, the bookmark things and I'm like bookmarking everything. I thought I had everything set up. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I feel pretty good. The text for that week was the slaughter of the innocents. So first time solo in a congregation and I get to talk about killing babies. Woo, that is amazing, fantastic. I, I, I wish I remembered the sermon, I wish I kept it. I probably should have just for, you know, nostalgia um, and to go, wow, that was lousy. Um, <laughs> but I am curious what that was like. So yeah. anyway, so, so I'm getting ready. It's like 20 minutes before worship. And I said to the, I think he was the council president, has the assistant minister arrived yet? No, she's, I haven't seen her. She's not here yet. I'm like, okay, it's 20 minutes. It's okay. There's not a ton to go through. It, it, it should be okay. 10 minutes, no assisting minister. Five minutes, no assisting minister. At this point, the choir has gathered in the basement because they have basements in Pennsylvania. The choir has gathered in the basement to begin to get in line, to process up the stairs to start worship. I still have no assisting minister. The prelude starts, I still have no assisting minister. And at this point, like, I'm generally not a very anxious person. You got anxious. I'm, gen I'm generally, I'll roll with it. Yeah. I was crapping my pants. <laughs> so literally, as, we are, as my, my first foot is about to hit the first step, this lady comes flying out of the bathroom fully robed, she had gotten her necklace tangled in her hair in, in getting her gown or whatever, her, her alb on to help assist with worship. So my introduction to this lady was literally as we're walking up the steps, and she goes, oh, hi, my name's, oh, hi, I'm, I'm, I'm Chad of the seminary, you know, how, you know, how many times have you led? This is my first time leading worship. Yeah. She's like, oh my God, I am so sorry. I said, it's okay. If I'm supposed to do something, just kind of kick me and I'll get up and do it. So the service, <laughs> in spite of all of that headache and, and just anxiety that I don't typically experience, it was really a new phenomenon, there was this, this whole like, train wreck of leading up to worship. The service went relatively well. I got to the end of the service and it was the one part I didn't have marked in the book. And I, I don't know if it was the blessing or something at the end of the service that I didn't have bookmarked, so I had to kind of wing it. Um, but other than that, it went okay. But the text that week was the slaughter of the innocents. And I remember thinking, no wonder the pastor took a vacation. And I think that was how I opened my sermon. Um, because nobody wants to preach on the slaughter of the innocents. Yeah. But I, 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 remember, I remember actually that being part of my sermon that week. Um, well, luckily our text was long enough that it included yeah. some other stuff that yeah. I was able to just kind of maybe not talk about slaughtering innocent, um, you know, children under the age of two. Yeah. Um, Wise move. Yeah, yeah. I, I was able to focus on something else. That's a seasoned pastoral move <laughs> that you go, oh, I can just duck this. Yep. I don't yep. have to address it. That, that was a, this is the weekend after Christmas and no one wants to hear about slaughtering children. In, in, um, in seminary, you're thinking, well, I, I hear, 
my, maybe not all, but for me, I was like, well, here's this major issue and it's really awkward and uncomfortable. I just got to, I just got to, I just got to I just got to embrace it. it and go with it. And, and man, did I, I don't know if it was good or not. You know, here's, I guess from my standpoint, my thought process was we do that enough with our regular um, throughout the year. Yeah. I was like the weekend after Christmas, people just need to hear about yeah. something else. <laughs> it, it also is, there is a beauty to supply preaching or interim preaching where you don't have a long-term tie to a congregation. It gives you a little bit of freedom, and it's in seminary, that was not the case, but it does give you a little bit of freedom. It gives you the freedom to say things. To that say when you things, are... to really push, to really challenge people. And I did do that in my teaching parish site. Right. Um, they had some, some, oddly enough, some racism stuff going on, and the pastor would not, would not, would not address it. Um, and I had one last sermon. <laughs> Um, before my time was up there, and and I I chose to, but the nice thing was I could I could kind of do that and yeah never be seen again. So <laughs> well, yeah, and that that is the beauty of being an interim um, when you're not so interim. And like I said, I think we we push people pretty hard. Yeah. Throughout the rest of the year. Um, Be, I, because I, because the because the text pushes us correct to push that right. we I, spend we spend September through Christmas in the Old Testament um, the Hebrew Scriptures and they push you and and I think I think it's important to highlight that because I think sometimes people think um, we do it on, we're you just like beat you just like beating us up yeah um, or you know other things. No, it's, and it's like, no, like the, these are the texts and, and you can, you can duck some, right? Like, like you can take some of the texts and you can, you can sort of, I'm going to air quote, take the easy way out. It's not really the easy way out, but you know, because it's still faithful to scripture. You, you, you can kind of lob some softballs every now and then, but when the, when the texts come up week after week, after week, after week, that challenge at some point, you have to challenge. Well, and part of it, and I'm a, at least this is how I always approach scripture because I'm a context person. So I'm always about, okay, why was this being said to the people it was being said? And then I move into the, so how does that apply to us? Right. And, and that's just how I preach. And that, as soon as you start doing that, you have to wrestle with the, the, the issues because when you're dealing with uh, a lot of those kinds of texts, it's okay, well, what was the issue they were dealing with? Well, here's what was going on. Well, how is that a parallel to today in any way, shape, or form? And that's when you get into trouble. <laughs> it's one thing to talk about it from two to 3,000 years ago. But for me, that's where the, that's where the rubber hits the road, of so to speak. Of course it does. Right? Like, but that's also where we get in trouble. Right. Because it's, it's one thing to say, well, this is what was going on for them. But the minute you, you take it and say, so how do we behave in ways maybe that might be similar, that these words might apply, blah, 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 blah. Well, and I think, I think it's, it goes back to, it, it, it's, it's somewhat generational in a sense that um, for so long in the church, the church's focused, focus was... Um, follow the law, um, and you go to heaven. Right. Right? It's all about... Where works you, righteousness. Yeah, yes. it's, it's, it's works righteousness, and but, but in a weird sense, because it's works, works righteousness um, as in go to worship, pray, go to heaven, as opposed to works righteousness in a sense of making a difference today. So... So in, how that plays out in the preaching part of it is, well, well, we're going we're gonna to worship God and we're going to glorify God and we're going to focus on your salvation as a gift from God, yay. And, right. and, and, and your salvation gift from God is absolutely a yay. Yeah, like, like, don't hear that as though it's not a yay. And to be fair, I mean, there are a lot of people who, you know, on their deathbeds are like, did I do enough? Did I do enough? Right. 
and that, that's when you failed in terms of, of being able to assure people um, that they are enough. Yeah. You know, they, they are enough. Um, and because, yet. Because the, question, <laughs> because the question being, did I do enough? The answer is going to be no. I mean, <laughs> uh, there, there was always something more we could have done. There, so, so I was going to say the answer is always yes. Because, well, yes because, and no. Right. From the standpoint of there's always something more we could have done. Yeah. But. And. Yes. Not but, and. Well, okay. And. I, I think it's an and. It's enough. Yeah. And yeah, it's Because enough. Jesus said so. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and that message absolutely can't get lost because it's an important message. My, my personal opinion is that for far too long, that was the only message. Right? right. The only message was, and yes, it's enough. Well, yes, it is. And also, we're not called to just kind of muddle through the world and not actually put the other parts of Scripture into action. Like, like it's it's not a matter of just. This was this was the struggle Luther had with good old James. Yeah. I mean, l- let's face it. That was the struggle. Because James comes straight out saying, you know, faith without works is dead. Right. And we kind of rail against that because, wow, that sounds like works righteousness, blah, blah, blah. But James had a very poignant point. (laughs) Is, Is it really faith if there's no action that accompanies it? And and So maybe the part where I struggle with it is the faith part. Right, because faith for me, when I hear the word faith, faith for me is a belief type word, mm-hmm. as opposed to an action type word, um, and, and maybe that's where I struggle. Um, maybe that's where I struggle a little bit. Right, because it, it's the best way you know I typically term it is faith in action. Right, and you know it's the. What grows out of the faith? What what is the fruit? What is right. the fruit? And the fruit can't just be stays on the tree and rots. Rots. <laughs> well, I was <laughs> I was gonna what, go rots, but then I'm thinking, well, if it also, stays on the tree, it eventually falls off on the ground and rots. Right. That's what but, happens. But it, from a faith standpoint, right? From a theological standpoint, in a sense. Th- I don't want you, the. I don't want you take you take the fruit. You internalize the fruit, and it turns into energy that goes out into the world. Yeah, as opposed to the fruits. <laughs> I, I, like I think that. I like that. <laughs> as opposed to the fruit stays on the tree and skips the rotting process and just goes straight to heaven. Like it, it's the fruits. The fruits meant to be used. I like that act, actionable and yeah. eat it energizes and send. I, I like that. I'll, I'll go with that. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, because I, 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 for me, that, that, that's the point. And I had, I had this conversation in a men's breakfast thing yesterday with some, with some of the other guys, you know, and the, the question was kind of posed, posed as uh, something along the lines of does about, about God's, your relationship with God providing comfort. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I don't, like for me, it's not, I don't find it comfortable. I don't find it comfortable because I find it challenging because I want, I want what people find comforting, that, that faith, that salvation piece, I want, I want what we're promised in the afterlife to be now. Like, and maybe it's because I'm not a patient person. But I also, the, the, way, the way I read scripture, the way I read scripture is not, is not, a, it's not an afterlife thing, it's a now thing. Right. Um, so for me, that, that, that relationship with God doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily a comfort thing. For me, it's more of a um, convicting, compelling, let's do stuff yeah. type of well, thing. Well, and I mean, if we want to go back to our analogy of the fruit kind of thing, I Make mean, me usually the reason that that analogy is used is because it's one of those, okay, if you have a fruit tree... And it doesn't actually produce any fruit is usually the way that that's, you know. Fertilize the fig an, tree. Yeah. It's, it's, if it's not actually producing any fruit, 
what's the point? Yeah. Why, why have <laughs> why have a fruit tree if you're not gonna get fruit? <laughs> you know, um, you could have gotten. It just looks great in my landscaping. Yeah, you could have gotten a maple tree. You could have gotten uh, you know something else. Uh, you know, kind of kind of tree. Um, but you get a fruit tree because you want fruit. You you want the mango. You want the um, the apples. You want the whatever it's going. You know, figs. Uh, as if we're going to get into what was. I don't know if I've ever really craved a fig. Well, that's. Probably because it isn't something that's indigenous to this area, and we don't tend to eat them very often. I mean, I eat a fig newton every now and then. <laughs> I like fig newtons, um, but so anyway, kind of getting back a little bit to the text. There was a lot going on. There were a lot of different things to to, to look at because you look at the fact that uh, the the magi are foreigners. Um, and were likely foreigners from countries that at one point in time had been uh, oppressors. You know, they were likely Zoroastrian priests from Persia who were the conquerors of the Babylonians. Uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's kind of this sort of cycle of we, we've just gotten through a, a cycle of prophets going into exile, being oppressed, blah, 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 and now you have the birth of their savior, who's, who's the first coming to visit after you have the angels and stuff. That's not in Matthew's gospel, so, um, you know, shepherds aren't, aren't doing their thing in, in Matthew's gospel. You have the magi showing up instead. So, an interesting, and I didn't talk about this at all, um, but an in interesting juxtaposition, if you take Luke's gospel versus Matthew's gospel and who the people are who show up. Right. Um, you know, in Luke's gospel, it's the shepherds, it's the, the outcasts, the whatever. In Matthew's gospel, it's foreign dignitaries, <laughs> people with immense political power from another country. But, but, but our nativity scene has all of them there. Yeah, I pointed to our nativity scene and said, despite what this may look like yeah. <laughs> and what we tend to put out there, uh, yeah, those, those magi were not there. Well, and so, I'm sorry, focus is not my thing today. Like, I It was shocking, I know. So it, one of my frustrations with the nativity, like in, in all honesty, it should really only be set up like our, looking at ours with the backdrop and the palm trees and the manger without the baby. Because nobody's there yet, right? right? Like leading up, like we put it out like at the beginning of Advent, but nobody's there. So should we from now on, um, during I, Advent, have an empty, I, that's, <laughs> completely empty, just have the little background thing of the, 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 the stable-y type thing, which... I, I mean... And and as the weeks go on, okay, well, but not right, even here's as the Mary, here's Joseph. But it's not even as the weeks go on. Yeah, I know. It stays empty until, like, Christmas. Cause like, like Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve, Mary and Joseph would show up, and, and, and baby Jesus, and, and then not till after, well, the shep we could put the shepherds there. Yeah, you can put the shepherds. We could put the shepherds there. They could, the shepherds showed up that night. Yeah. Yeah, but that's it. Like, the Magi aren't there. No, the Magi, like I said, the Magi don't come. Man, how much they're, trouble. They're, they're like the ones we have way up top. They're still in the distance. <laughs> if you see those things up close, they don't look nearly as nice as they do from down here. Um, they're, they're a mangled mess. Um, but how much, how much trouble are we going to get in next year? We're like, well, let's not set up the whole nativity scene. Let's just put up. We can't do that. We Let's never... just put up the palm trees and the and the and the the stable. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and the empty manger. I, I mean, yeah, people. Pe uh, I'm not. You put the animals. Or did they? Yeah, I guess so. No, oh no, it's a stable. There are going to be animals. Correct, but the so the only animals, man, we are way down a rabbit hole, but it's okay. <laughs> but the only animals that we actually have in our nativity, we have three sheep. That's it. 
because the camel would not be there. Would not be there, and and the donkey is loaded up with stuff. Um, maybe some gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, so really, we would have some sheep and the backdrop and three trees. Now, if you had unladen camels, there could be camels. You don't necessarily correct. Need Th the, this the was in full regalia, like this. Yeah, is yeah, like, they have their full. Th yeah, their, their, their this is a hoity-toity camel. Yeah. This isn't some some poor Joe camel. They're vested. Yeah, they're vested. <laughs> I, I mean, if we're gonna be so, I every year like. They set baby Jesus in the in the manger when they set up, and then I always take him and, and hide Put him. Put him in, yeah, you, you um, hide him in the sacristy. Because, and, then I, and then he appears Christmas. So, I mean, it's kind of this, which honestly freaks people out every year. Oh, my God, we're missing baby Jesus. Um, which, Someone stole baby Jesus out of a friend of ours. I know, uh, I saw Nativity, that. Yeah. actually. It, at Nativity Lutheran of all, yeah. I know, yeah. I know. There's some irony and maybe some humor in that. Yeah. Um, they just needed more Jesus, so they took him. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not necessarily opposed to having, to just setting the scene. I mean, when you walk into, when you walk into a play, like the scene is set, but there's not, I mean, not everything's there. Yeah. The actors come as the story unfolds. Well, we have this, well, we have the whole story the problem, unfolded before it starts. Part of the problem is... Nobody we, comes after Christmas Eve. <laughs> Right. Part of the problem is we've turned Advent into Christmas. This is when we decorate everything for Christmas, and yeah. that's actually not Christmas. Is is the twelve days after Christmas between Christmas and Epiphany? My true love came to me. Um, but that's such a short time frame because it only covers two weekends. Yeah, and you don't go through all this work for two weekends. Right. Right. It's like you know that the the decorating kind of you know it. It takes effort and, and but things like I, that. So I, mean, I actually this year did not put my tree up until like two days before Christmas. I put mine up right after Thanksgiving because I bought it from the Martin County Band. Ah. And that's when it comes. And I, like, shameless plug alert, like that tree was amazing and it was very reasonably priced. So if you need a tree, a real tree next year, because I'm not a fake tree fan, Martin County Band, it, they're awesome. Yeah. But, I mean, we could, we could, do the rest of the decorations. I mean, okay, so we also, we have a lot of nativity scenes in this, yes, in this place. Yes, we do. We have way too many. We have like one in the lobby. Just one in the lobby now? I thought we had two. Uh, maybe we have two. We have one in the lobby. You know, never mind, I can't, I can't say that out loud. Um, we have one in the lobby. We have one in front of the altar. We have... One that hangs. One, a stained glass one that hangs from the ceiling, which is, is really beautiful. One of my complaints is that it kind of gets lost up there. Right. And it's so really beautiful, it. it shouldn't get lost, but it does, and that's a shame. Well, we put it up there so it doesn't get broken. I know, but it also, like, yeah. like I wish it were more visible. Um, and it kind of gets hidden by the tree a little bit, depending where you're at. And then we have another partial setup, like, up top as well. But, I mean, maybe the one in the sanctuary isn't fully revealed until, until Christmas Eve. I mean, you know, that's, a, that's, that's a discussion maybe we should have with that, our, our, our worship person on... Uh, but is that a worship person? Is that a worship issue? I don't issue? know. I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty sure that this rabbit hole, should we continue to go down it in like 11 months from now, um, will get us in trouble? I, you think? Probably. Probably. Um, we might okay, do it anyway. We're used to getting in trouble, so. Um, anyway. Yeah. Sorry. So, back to the Magi who weren't there. <laughs> But again, this, 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 this idea of Matthew's gospel is kind of big into bringing in outsiders from other, like foreigners type thing. Um, when you get into the genealogy, which actually, to be, to be fair, that was supposed to be the text for the narrative lectionary was the genealogy of Jesus. So thank you. You, you all Boring. owe me a, a debt of gratitude yeah. that I did not preach on the genealogy of Jesus because someone was going to have to read that. <laughs> Oof. 
Yeah. Um, but I, in a way, there is something that's important about it from the standpoint of it highlights four women. Yep. At least three of whom are foreigners. Yep. Bathsheba, Rahab, and uh, Ruth, the Moabite. I, I, one of the, the the one the one that was was to the I think she was was um, Israelite was was Tamar, but there's scandal around her. Yeah. So all of these women, there's either scandal or it's they're a foreigner, which is being a it's kind of scandalous. Uh, you know, but the point being is, is Matthew's really trying to draw in, and hence why I think the Magi are in this, you know, in his version of this, is he's trying to highlight this is not just an Israel thing. This is not an event that is just about Israel and its people. It's about the world. And it's about something much bigger. What I think people miss in the Gospels, plural, is that the writers had a different, each writer had a different agenda. Yeah, A different absolutely. audience and a different point that they were trying to get across. And, and the Christmas story maybe is, is, a, is the perfect example because the Christmas story is basically, hey, Luke, oh, the shepherds. The angels. The lowly shepherds. And then Matthew is like, oh, these outsiders um, are coming into play. And not that, and not that you know, people on the margins aren't in Luke, but, but I mean, there's, there's a reason that the writers of the Gospels focus on what they focus on. And, and part of it is the audience that they're, pre, that they're, that they're writing to uh, or writing for. It, it just, it makes, it, it, the nuances in the story I think we often miss because we often miss unless we intentionally focus on them. And I know as pastors, we intentionally focus on them. But so, as, as, as lay people, maybe so not. So one of our, our people on Sunday came up to me and was like, so are you going to tell me that this like never happened? You know, that the, you know the, this, this story never happened. And I looked at her and said, no, I'm not going to tell you that. I said, what I am going to tell you, I said, I'm not going to tell you in the sermon, but I, I said, what I, I will tell you one-on-one -on -one here, is that the authors of the Gospels who included nativity stories, and there were only two of them, had their reasons for including what they did. Yep. I said they, 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 were, they, they had an agenda, they had a purpose, they had something they were trying to convey, um, and so therefore they are telling their you know, the, the, the story of the nativity. I hate to use the word myth because that, that, that gets misunderstood yeah. in, in religious circles because that immediately people go, oh, if it's a myth, it's not true. And it's like, no, that's not, that's, that's not what it means in, in religion. Uh, <laughs> um, it's an origin story, it's, it's, and it's symbolic. So it's full of, of, of symbolic things going on. Um, and so these stories are being told for their symbolic relevance um, of why was, it, when you're reading these, it's okay, so why is this important? Why, you know, why is the story of the Magi important? Because we never hear about them again. They're never, you yeah. know, they're, they are not integral to the story of Jesus really the whole thing in any way, shape, or form, other than they are outsiders. They're foreigners. And they're representative of that world. And I kind of appreciate, too, that, like I said, compared to Luke's gospel, where the outsiders are the, the lowly, the downtrodden, you know, they're, they're the shepherds, you know, yeah. not usually considered your... Um, higher upper echelons of society coming to greet a king kind of thing. You, you don't right. usually get an audience when you're a shepherd with, with the king. Um, versus Matthew's gospel, it is, it is the wealthy and the, the powerful that are coming to see him. And it kind of, 
So you put these stories together in terms of getting the full breadth of it. Uh, okay, Luke's gospel is tackling the lowly and, and the downtrodden. Matthew's gospel's looking at kind of the wealthy and the powerful. What, what is ultimately the point of both? Well, both bow down to Jesus kind of thing. It's, yep. it's they're both under Jesus. Yep. They're both included. So I know a lot of people get real, um, you know, if you, because if you listen to the Magnificat in Luke's gospel, it's about tearing down the wealthy and the powerful and blah, 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 and, you know, and sort of this leveling. And if you put the two together, it is still kind of that. It's this, this leveling of, yep. well, Jesus is this, this kid being born in a stable, and yet he is still worshipped by the powerful, et cetera, et cetera, which means they are subject to him as much as the shepherds are. And, and that leveling makes people jumpy. Yeah, nobody likes the leveling. Right. Well, I well, should say not nobody. Right. The, 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 the powerful do not like the leveling. Correct. They, they do not like your, being told they're going to be Depending on your station in life. So generally speaking, our stations in life um, are less a fan of the leveling, generally speaking. Um, it's like, oh, so <laughs> what do I? Because again, we, look at, we often look at it as, well, what do I have to give up? The pie. What I, yeah, what do I have to give up? Yeah. What do I have to... The pie is only so big. So if I have three quarters of the pie, that means I have to give up a quarter of the pie. I like the pie. I want my pie. <laughs> yeah. um, but if someone has no pie, we should be willing to give up a quarter of our pie. So, someone, so somebody can have some. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I, absolutely. I fruit, mean, fruit trees like I said, and it pies. Just, it's, there's that, no, like I said, they, there's, there, there's a part of, of the leveling that is going to be unhappy when you do the leveling. Um, but, it's an, like I said, this is a, this is, these are the things that these texts make you wrestle with if you really start delving into them and, and get beyond the sentimentality and the, oh, isn't this nice? Um, and, and there's darkness in the midst of this story, not just the slaughtering part, but even within the gifts. I've talked about this before, you know, the gift, and I talked about it in my sermon that giving myrrh was, an interesting choice uh, <laughs> in, in, in terms of it's a, a foreshadowing of death because it's, it, it was used for embalming and uh, for pre- preparation of the dead uh, as a preservative. And again, just I, I, I don't know that I wanted to see Mary's face when she saw that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not really something you give give to a newborn, but again, symbol you know the the symbolic nature of the gifts is important, and 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 so let's let's delve into the slaughtering just for a minute and recognize the fact that it's also a nod to something else. There's another story where a king got kind of worried about his power and influence, and how did he deal with that? Same way. Yeah. Story of the Exodus. Pharaoh. Oh, these people are becoming too numerous. They may take over. If they take over, guess what that means? I will no longer be in power. We will no longer be in power. Therefore, let's go kill all the male children. But Pastor Rebecca, the gospel's not about politics. <laughs> it literally it literally starts that way. I know. Uh, I know. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. But again, you know, par- part of that story is is picking up on okay, so there was this great act of deliverance 
in the Hebrew scriptures. God did this great act of deliverance of, of freeing people from bondage and slavery and all that kind of stuff. And Matthew's gospel is picking up on that story and kind of doing a parallel and saying, okay, it's not Pharaoh anymore. It's actually, you know, it's King Herod now um, who feels threatened and, and so does the same thing. You know, what's, what's our response to, to threats? Destroy them. Yeah. Destroy the threat that might possibly remove me from power. So the big question kind of becomes, was Jesus a threat? Yeah, because he's a threat to the status quo. Exactly. I, I mean... No, so, the, so it's a yes and no, right? Right. Because... He was not going to take over Herod's throne. Correct. That was not what was going to happen. Correct. But Jesus was absolutely looking to affect change in the world and affect the status quo, which, again, that whole leveling, and if you're on the top half of that leveling, that leveling's less pleasant than if you're on the bottom half of, the, of that leveling. So from that standpoint, yep. Yeah. I... So much, so much of how, you, how one hears and reads and interprets Scripture is about their station in life. Um, yes, and this is why we call it law and gospel. Correct. And, and people think, well, this is a gospel text. Well, this is a law text. And I'm always like, well, that kind of depends on how you hear it. You're right. It is law and gospel. Yeah, it's... It, it, it totally depends. You know, what, what's gospel to one person may be law to somebody else. Yeah. Um, my, my favorite example always is the story of, of Rich Man and, and Lazarus. It's like, well, depending on who you are and yep. who you identify with, yep. that, that story can be good news or bad news. <laughs> we, we, did, we did an amazing exercise in seminary where they split us, and half the, half the class was Lazarus and half the class was the rich man. And they, they, they engaged us in conversation back and forth. And it was a highly effective exercise that challenged, because you know, if, you're, if you're the rich man, you're, oh, you're lazy, you don't want to work, get a job, you know, why should I have to blah, 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 all, you know, all the stereotypes. And it, it, one, it was scary how quickly a bunch of seminarians could fall in, you know, could fall into those insults back and forth. And then it went, you know, Lazarus was like, oh, you're greedy, you're blah, 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 blah. Which is really interesting because then when you switch it, boop, roll reversal, and now you're like, oh, wait, now I'm the one in need, and it's a completely different, um, it, it's like uh, the movie Trading Places, uh, the Eddie Murphy movie from, I think, I think that's the 80s, maybe the 90s. Um, uh, no, I'm pretty sure it was the 80s. I, Dan Aykroyd. I think it's 80s, yeah. Yeah, Dan Aykroyd, um, Eddie Murphy. I'm, I'm almost certain that's an 80s movie. Yeah, I, th I think so too. I think so too. If it, yeah, because, yeah, 80s movie. But it's, it's really interesting. You know, the Wall Street guys end up on the street and the, the homeless guy ends 1983, up... 1983, to be exact. Early 80s. Woo. Yes. As I said, I was pretty um, certain it was yeah. 80s. <laughs> um, but it, again, that's a, it's... If you watch the movie, there's foul language in it. Oh, it's, of course Eddie, it's an Eddie Murphy movie from the '80s. Right. So it's before okay. he, it's yes. before he did Mushu and, and Doctor Doolittle and <laughs> had kids and whatever. Um, but this, this it, was his buckwheat era. On yeah, Saturday so, Night Live. Yeah. So I am not at all saying that Trading Places is a theological movie. Let's just, I'm not saying that. However, it does highlight that whole reversal of fortune um, that we share in Lazarus, where you go from rich to poor and from poor to rich. So I'm going um, to push back when you say it's not a theological movie. Um, so would you say the story of <laughs> Esther was not a theological story because it doesn't mention God? No. So <laughs> I, you're, you are, there are theological themes in it. Correct. But you would not choose to watch necessarily Trading Places 
expecting expecting theology. Let's have a movie night. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, I, there. I would love to do it. I don't think we could get away with it. There are of that. there are several publications that have taken secular movies. Oh yeah. And 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 many secular movies, either intentionally or unintentionally, have a very theological lean Point. to them yeah, yeah. or can or can be viewed through so, a theological lens. So science lens. fiction in general tends to have a, a very um, theological commentary. Um, it's, it's always a commentary on society, which honestly, that's a lot of what scripture is, is, I, is a I mean, common, if commentary. If you say so. I know you. You don't. You don't get this. But my, my, those of us my, who are sci-fi fans tend to yeah. also be very. We we love theology, and part of why we love both is because they're dealing with those issues. They deal with um, because sci-fi gives you that ability to live in a world where you can put it usually in the future, or it's an alternate reality, or something along those lines, and make your point in a way that it isn't as in your face? I, I was, I was in, I admit, I was indeed the outcast in seminary that I didn't give a crap about Star Trek or Star Wars. Like, I... Yeah, no, I, I but, but a lot of your, a lot of your classmates did. Oh, I, I, I was the outcast. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and I might be the only one, but I'm like, eh. No, you and my, my friend, um, my, my best friend Tracy, actually, uh, who I went to seminary with, had never seen Star Wars. Um, and so, I mean, there was, it, it, they exist. <laughs> Y'all exist in seminary spaces. Um, we, are, we are a rare breed, though. Yes. But, again, part of it is because the the attraction to science fiction and the attraction to theology a lot of times is very very similar in fact um some some full religions um such as mormonism translate into science fiction very well because it involves other planets and blah 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 i mean all of battlestar galactica is basically a, a Mormon story. It's it's their theology put into a a science fiction. I don't think we want to go into that. No, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying there's a there's a translation there of yeah. dealing with those those themes and those ideas. Um, you know, Star Wars is popular. Part of it is you know it's the Jedi. It's a very kind of you know the, the notion of the Force, this thing that is behind everything. Um, that, that makes everything work is the force. Um, and, you know, you have a couple of people that are able to actually kind of tap into that and, and are, you know, um, able to utilize it in, for good or for evil. Uh, you know, in, in this case, the force is a, a let's just put it, it, it is a non-moral entity from the standpoint of, you know, and if you get into some of the earlier ones, they actually give a biological midi chloride kind of weird thing that everybody was like, you kind of ruined the mystical part of it. So <laughs> we liked the mystical part. Um, but yeah, there's that, there's, there is that um, marriage, I guess, between those things when you're looking at it. But anyway, it, the point being is a lot of times it is a commentary on what is going on in your society today. All, all, almost all science fiction is going to be that commentary. And so it's kind of the, the opposite of Scripture in terms of Scripture is something from the past. Science fiction is something in the future. But they're both making a commentary on society. And wherever we're located in time... We take that and say, how does this apply to us? How, you know, how, again, I get back to that. It's the, what does this story mean for us? What does the story of the Magi mean for us? What does the, the, the story of, the, of Herod and the slaughter and the, you know, all that kind of stuff, what do those things mean for us? And 
like I said, my sermon, I went the route of, of, of God making people take other paths that you wouldn't dream of. You know, yeah. um, be, except for the fact that he comes to you in a dream, so you did dream it in this case. But <laughs> the, the, it's a dream that's outside of you kind of thing. It's, it's, it's not a subconsciously, this is what I came up with. It's, I would never in my own head come up with the whole idea of you need to go down a different, you need to go back a different way because if Herod finds out about this, he's going to kill that baby. Yeah. You know, um, they're, like I said, they're powerful foreign dignitaries. It would have been the proper thing for them to have then gone back to tell him that, you know, what he wanted as not to offend him. I'm actually surprised some kind of war didn't get started, the fact that, you know, they didn't go back. Because that was that was sort of a big snub. Yeah. Um, that they just left the country and didn't and didn't go back. So. Um, I would say wars get started, but instead he slaughtered babies. Uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Fun but stuff. anyway, next week I am not here, so I don't know. You know, if you want to. Vacation. Yes, I'm going on vacation. Well, you're here this weekend. I'm here this weekend, yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm here until probably about midday on Sunday, and then I head to Miami, and then I'm on a plane and gone. And so we probably will not have a podcast next week unless you decide to pull in somebody. We will and... not have a podcast. <laughs> He's I like, nope, def- we're just not going to have I can a definitively say... We will not have a podcast yeah. next week. Well, and, and let's be fair. I mean, I kind of, the, the, the date of our vote was decided long after I'd already booked my trip. Yep. Um, and the timing just kind of stinks because there's going to be a lot to do if this vote goes through. We'll just say that. So I apologize that I will be gone, but like I said, I had this booked a long time ago. Yep. Um, and... We will see you sometime. Well, yeah, probably in a couple weeks. And we'll, I'm sure, not have just scripture to talk about. We'll probably have some other interesting things to discuss and going forward um, for, for, for what's going on. So we will talk to you in a couple weeks. Bye, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.